You're listening to audio from Gospel Collective Church. If you'd like to check out additional resources or learn more about us, please visit gcclex.com. Morning again. It is good to be back. I missed you all last week. In fact, last weekend where I was out of town, it was the first time I was able to attend uh, a worship service, a church, uh, without maybe preaching, uh, leading it in some type of way in a very, very long time. Uh, again, enjoyed it but missed you. One thing that was very different, as we all know and conceive it right now, nobody sits in the front row. And so when I worship, I have a little bit of freedom. I can dance, like, you know, raise my arms, everything. That was not the case at the church I attended. I was like accidentally like nudging them. I'm trying to worship, like the elbow to the face and everything else. I had to kind of be like this and just try to sing to the Lord. Um, So good problem to have and good problem that you guys are in that place right now. But I'm not used to that, as you can tell, kind of from the front row right there. But again, glad to be back. Uh, Before we get into the text, which by the way, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3. But before we read this text, before we study it, uh, some things I want to keep you all in the loop about. First, uh, I know many of you guys know this, uh, but we are growing as a church. In fact, since the new year, there's only been four Sundays since... uh, um, since the new year that we've been under 200 in attendance. And many of you guys remember pre-COVID, that's exactly kind of praying, planning, and preparing for that. And so as we're growing in those ways, um, I want to ask you to pray, to consider two things. Uh, first off, if you are fairly new to our church, uh, I want to encourage you, especially if you've been coming on Sunday morning, for you to take steps in community group or discipleship relationships. Uh, as we grow, we want to make sure that the church knows and experiences not just the body of Christ in Sunday morning corporate worship, but community and discipleship throughout the week. And so that is the body in us doing the one another's with each other. And so I know community groups ends in like a little less than a month. We will have summer study. That'll actually be a great opportunity to meet and get to know some people in community groups. And again, we'd love to talk to you about discipleship relationships, what that means and looks like. But we want to encourage you as we grow, we know the body is not just as important as this time is, not just Sunday morning, but community in that way. Uh, Two, uh, pray about how you can serve and to be sent. Uh, Again, much of the church body from this to community group is the spirit filling you up so you can get sent out on mission and places to serve Uh, as we grow. uh, Again, there's going to be needs and gaps that uh, God may be calling you to be able to fill. And uh, uh, so, again, we want you to consider such things as we grow as a church. Second thing I just wanted to mention, uh, we started the book of Hebrews a little less than a month ago. Love this book. All scripture, all sermons going to be good and from the Lord, but I do want to highlight two so you can be, so you can be aware of this. Try to kind of prioritize these Sundays, prioritize every Sunday, but especially these two Sundays because of what we're going to be talking about. First off, next week we are going to be covering some of the heaviest, hardest, but clearest in scripture concerning the topic of hardened hearts and unbelief. And many of you in here already know, whether it be family member, friends, people that you've grown up in church with uh, that profess to be a believer, but now does not profess anymore. And this scripture deals with that and the challenges of that and the hardness of that. But then also hardened heart, which deals with some of us as well. And so I want to encourage you to be here next week as we hit the part in Scripture that so many go to point to in Hebrews concerning this, even comparing us at times to those who were in the wilderness. It says, 
three different times. Do not harden your hearts if you hear from the Lord speaking to you today. So again, want to cover some of that. Looking forward to that next week. The other one is the Word of God. Um, as you know, we are, we are taking this by, you know, half a chapter or entire chapter. When we hit Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, that sermon on May 21st is going to be only on those two verses. We're not covering the entire chapter, only those two verses. And let me read those to you today just in preparation for that. Again, that's May 21st. But listen to these two verses concerning what we believe about the Word of God right here. Hebrews 4, 12 to 13 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of morrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Man, that is a heavy and good piece of word right there about the power of God's word. You know that this is the only book in all of the world throughout history that you can read while it reads you. That's pretty powerful. So we're going to spend an entire sermon on that and see how God uses it for both conviction, but then encouragement and affirmation and what we need. This morning, we're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We're talking about Jesus, who is the greater Moses and house builder. Read with me God's word, starting off with verse 1. God's word says this. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, has much more glory as the builder of a house, has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Not the servant, but as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. In case you missed the last few weeks, let me catch you up before we study this passage. We covered the first two chapters where we read and discussed first the supremacy of Christ over all things, including angels, which also, as Connor kind of uh, talked about last week, our salvation. His supremacy over the word of the prophets and again, that unique relationship that we have with God because of salvation that angels don't even understand and now the family relationship we have with them. And not only the supremacy over angels, but the word of the prophets, including who we are talking about today as we just read the supremacy of Christ over Moses. 
And when I say Moses, I am not talking about this Moses, but instead this Moses who we just got done singing about, okay? So he starts off, verse 1, appealing for Jesus in their context. Read again verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. You see this right here is the author contextualizing, speaking, bonding with them. Hey, brothers who serve, who worship, who have the one true God, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus, who they're starting to take steps away from now. Questioning, is he that true Messiah? Does he have supremacy over the prophets and their word, the angels, and who he's going to mention? Moses here in the next couple verses. Consider Jesus making this appeal to them. Who is the apostle and high priest? Remember what he said about high priest last week in chapter 2. One who he says was suffered and tempted and can be able to connect and sympathize with you because he's been tempted himself, who is a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, who made a propitiation for the sins of the people. Consider him. And lastly, Jesus is faithful like Moses was faithful. He's not only just apostle, high priest, but just like your esteemed Moses was faithful, he was faithful. Look at verse 2 who was faithful to him, talking about God, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Now listen, I cannot stress this enough. Moses was esteemed by the Jews far above any other Jew or prophet who ever lived at this time. Moses to them, as he is saying this, is like the Muslims, Muhammad. He's like the Buddhists, Buddha. He's like the Mormons, Joseph Smith. He's like the Calvinists, John Piper. <laughs> Moses is respected and esteemed far greater than any Jew or prophet at that time. Remember the Apostle Paul stressed in Romans 2 how Jews had great confidence in the law. And remember to them, Moses in the law was almost synonymous. The New Testament often refers the commands of God as what? The law of Moses. And this is because Moses is who God used to give us the Ten Commandments down from Mount Sinai. In which every person, whether you grew up Christian or not, knows of today. Like last weekend when I was out of town, we stopped at an Arby's. And my oldest teenage daughter like nudged me. He's like, what is that? Is this a Christian Arby's? Because there's a huge plaque of the Ten Commandments there. I'm like, I'm like Olivia, we're just in the South. Okay, that's all that is. Okay. Hey, not a Christian Arby's there. It's because people know the Ten Commandments. It's Moses who wrote the entire Pentateuch, which is the, gen, gen, the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deut Deuteronomy. Those books, the books of what the Jews call the Torah that lays out the Levitical and other laws that governs everything the Jews did. And it was Moses that gave the plans for the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. He was not just esteemed because of this, but he was literally called faithful by God's own mouth. In fact, why the author of Hebrews says specifically just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house is because he's taking this from Numbers chapter 12. 
Look what happens in Numbers chapter 12 when Miriam and Aaron, who was Moses' brother, was talking against, talking some smack against Moses. And if you read it, it's kind of like, feel like it's rightfully so. But God came down when they started talking badly about him. And a pillar of a cloud stood at the entrance of the tent where the tabernacle was. And he said to them, look at verse 6, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Oh, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. That is why the author of Hebrews says this. It's literally what God said to his brother and Miriam when they were trying to point out some of the wrong that Moses was in. Verse 8, God says, With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Of course the Jews are looking at him as the great prophet of all prophets. And of course what we know about Moses' life backs this up. He ultimately carried out God's plan after hearing God's call. He faithfully took God's people out of Egypt, standing up to a ruthless dictator who constantly changed his mind, at times turning the Jews even against Moses, who was trying to free them from slavery. And Moses stayed faithful, believing God's promise of deliverance, seeing God's miracles in the plagues and Passover, while even performing miracles himself, like what we just got done singing about, the parting of the Red Sea. Moses was faithful in the wilderness. Yes, as we know, at times faltering, having doubts, like when he struck the rock instead of speaking to it as God commanded. But he was the only one who spoke to God face to face, had seen the very glory of God. That even when he came down on the mountain, it's recorded that that glory was reflected on his face. And just like God reminded Miriam and Aaron, I speak mouth to mouth in him. He beholds the form of the Lord. It was Moses who was used and recorded and all of those eternal words and truths. Remember, this is described to Moses in all God's house. That word house, home, is important here. It's meaning household or refers to people, not a physical building, not a physical dwelling, but instead he is faithful in all God's people, household. And we know Moses was faithful for it, for it was through Moses that God dispensed to his people, to his family, to Israel, the apple of God's eye, his truths, his commandments, his requirements, and his promises. Again, it was Moses who was used and recorded in all of this and his eternal word used for them and us today. Now, it probably could have easily stopped right there and everything would have been fine. Hey, remember... Jesus Christ, who is faithful to the Lord, just like Moses is faithful in God's house. And if it would have stopped right there, there'd been no drama, no pitchforks. Jesus is faithful, like our esteemed friend, prophet, and father Moses agreed. But it doesn't just stop at that verse, as many of you know, because there are like several more chapters in Hebrews. But it doesn't just stop with Moses and Jesus being faithful. Instead, this author is not just comparing Jesus to Moses. In the following verses, he wants to show how Jesus is greater than their beloved Moses, which is a bit of a toe-stepper. 
and why he phrases verse 1 the way he does, trying to connect with them a bit before presenting what would be hard truth for those starting to doubt and step away from their belief that Jesus was that true Messiah, Savior they anticipated. That just like the angels discussed in the chapter before, the prophets and fathers that he mentions in chapter 1, Moses, of course, being one of those prophets and fathers, Jesus Christ holds supremacy over all of them. Quick funny story about this. As I prepared for this, as I studied this scripture, as I've been thinking about this, uh, yesterday uh, my eight-year-old son was helping me with yard work around our house or around our, our yard and uh, we have a little thing between uh, uh, the twins and I. It started with Lila Grace and kind of extended to Carter uh, where one will say I love you and the other will say I love you more, I love you most, okay? And like we're like trying to up each other and our love for each other. There's probably some psychological issues with that. Please don't overanalyze but we just do it, okay? And so it happens with Lila Grace. Now Carter's picked up on it and so we're doing the yard work and I'm like, love you, buddy. He's like, I love you more. I'm like, I love you most. And he says, I love you plus infinity. I said, I love you plus infinity and God. Ooh, you can't get more than God, okay? And then he says, I love you plus infinity plus God and Teddy. Okay, I don't know why Teddy is included there with God, okay? I tried up him one more. I love you, Teddy, God, infinity, and Jesus. I know it's one and the same, but like, and then in our household, like, I guess the new Coles or Trinity is God, Jesus, and Teddy, okay? Because he's always included in this, all right? And then he says back, I never heard this from any one of my twins when we do this little thing. He says, I love you, plus God, Jesus, Teddy, infinity, and Moses. I'm like, no, <laughs> wait, Moses. And I never heard him. I'm like, why'd you say Moses right there, buddy? And I was like, you know, Moses is not God. He's not on the same thing as, a, eh, I don't know about Teddy, but Jesus and God. No, he didn't know that. he's like, I know. I was just trying to one up you. I'm like, okay. And I'm like overthinking of it because of this passage and everything. I'm like, all right, buddy, let me teach you a little theology lesson right here. I'll read this, all right. In the same way, this author shows how Jesus is greater than Moses in a few ways here. Read with me again, verses three through six. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. I love that and I love what comes after it. And we are his house. We are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. You see, Moses is a faithful servant in God's house, as mentioned here in verse 5, also back in verse 2. And that's great. I mean, really great for all the reasons we just said. But he also mentions here Moses is the home itself, like us in verse 6. After all, it was Moses who testified to all things that were to come later, as verse 5 says. Moses was faithful in all God's houses to servant to testify to the things and were to spoken later. He also mentions, or he mean, what he means by this, is that what Moses was doing was pointing people to the future Messiah. 
Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of all things before and what he gives and also ushers in now with the gospel and the new covenant and a new church and the eternal home that we receive in it. Because Jesus is the ultimate and true builder of the house. We are the house like Moses and he is building us up and he rightfully gets more honor as the builder not the servant, but verse 6 says, as the son. And he's counted as more worthy of the glory than you, I, Moses, would receive because as God, he deserves all the glory. And so two things to remember out of these four verses. First, in verse 3 and 4, we must remember it is only Jesus that builds the house. It is only Jesus that builds the house. Moses was faithful, yes. But he was faithful as a part of the house. It is Jesus who made the home. That is the difference. And listen to me, church. That is a great difference. Jesus created Israel. Moses was a member of Israel in which Jesus built and just like Jesus created Israel, Jesus creates the church today. And it is family, it is home, and it is only Jesus can build the church in home. Which let me remind everyone here, Jesus is the greater of all the people we look up to or can accidentally idolize. Why he is emphasizing to them, it is only Jesus who builds the house because they're going back and saying maybe, Maybe Jesus is similar to Moses. Maybe Moses is on the same par again or greater than. But it's only Jesus that can build the home. And it is only Jesus, it is only Jesus that we follow and trust in. I made a joke with one of our elders last week when I was out of town with him. Part of the reason why we were out of town is because we are at a, a teenager apologetics conference. And at this apologetic conference, there was a speaker there uh, by the name of Greg Kokel. Some of you guys may know him. He wrote the book Tactics. Um, it was actually that book that God used to help kind of influence in uh, uh, Greg Holden, who's one of our elders, community group leader, and uh, kids teacher. And uh, he really studies apologetics, gifted in that area, loves that area. And part of it is because of God using Greg Kokel in that way. And so I joked with him as we're at this conference, like, man, you're really fanboying, fanboying this guy right now. And he made a little joke. It was like, hey, you need to go listen to the first Corinthians sermon about we only follow Jesus, right? It's only like, you know, we don't follow Barnabas. We don't follow Paul. We're not baptized in it. We're, it's only Jesus. Okay. Made that joke. But a little bit later, as I made that joke in the conference, somebody was giving a keynote, uh, uh, keynote, keynote uh, message. And in that message, they, they talked about how we have to separate the hypocrisy of Christians with Jesus Christ himself, which is true, right? And I shared with Greg a little bit later how it is crazy how much I say to my kids and others when thinking about that a little bit more. Any bad or sin that you see in me or from me is truly of me. It's not of God. It does not need to be associated with Jesus. When I mess up, no, even as a professing Christian, that's because of my sin and my flesh 
my mistakes. Do not associate that with Jesus. Do not do that. But on the other end, any good from within me, any use of the Lord through me, any spiritual growth or thanksgiving is truly not of me like that sin or bad is of me, but utterly and completely of the Lord and Jesus Christ. You know, somebody says, thank you for that sermon. Thank you. It was God's word, not me. Thank you for that discipleship. That, that was Jesus growing you, not me. My kids are like, thank you, Dad, for loving me, not giving up on me. I'm like, no, that, that's Jesus. And they're like, what, you're going to give up on me? You don't love me? Like, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about here. But know that anything of me is only exemplified, modeled, and I can learn because of Jesus doing that for me first. And I couldn't but help to think, how weird kind of is that? but how true it is. We're just the servants. It's Jesus that builds the home. It's Jesus that we point to like Moses pointed to. I can be taken tomorrow. You can be taken tomorrow. And do you want them to remember you or Jesus? Because one is going to be eternal. It is the love and faithfulness of Jesus that is still there when he temporarily uses us. And like he did of Moses, we are only servants where it is only through Jesus that can start and build the home, both church and family. And then look at verses 5 through 6. He reminds us we are the home. We're the house. Read with me again verses 5 through 6. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that would be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. All of us are instruments in the building. We're a part of the house that only Jesus can build. And like Moses is described here in verse 5, we too are servants to Jesus in building the house, a part of the house. But only Jesus can truly build the house. And but what is being built here is a family, a true forever family. And we are that spiritual family. Yes, messy. Yes, imperfect while on this earth. But in all reality, more of a substance than the shadow of our blood relationships. For Jesus even said at one point, it is the eternal family. It is the eternal family that will be recognized in heaven. When he was asked, where's your mom? Where's your siblings? What did he say? He gave them value, gave them respect. But it is my eternal family that I have. When my child gets saved, we celebrate as a family, but also as a church family. It's not just my home. When we baptize, that's with the local church in a public profession. We are servants of this family, we the church of the house, and this is where we ultimately belong. 
A beautiful passage of Scripture elsewhere that speaks to both of these things. How only Jesus can build the church and home and that we are the church and home is found in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at the screens to the left and right. Feel free to flip there as well. Verses 19 through 22. Ephesians 2 says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are a fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Church is family in Jesus' eyes. Matthew 12. Jesus said it himself. I've joked about this before. I remember early on as a Christian, I mentioned this actually to our community group this past Wednesday. I remember early on in ministry, first church that I started serving with, and they called each other brothers and sisters. And I was like, that's weird. You know, like the pastors telling the, the, the teenagers I'm teaching at Sunday school, this is brother Eric. I'm like, brother Eric, okay? But like when reading, studying the scriptures with it, I understood it. And you know, when Jesus was saying this and teaching this, it was at a time when it was borderline illegal to do so. Do you know, back in Roman rule, family and inheritance was a huge thing. And for you to falsely claim or call someone a brother or sister that wasn't either by blood or law slash marriage, you could get arrested. Jesus, of course, didn't care, never got arrested for it, surely made a lot of Roman officials upset and confused. But he did this intentionally because he wanted to show that we are true family. We are his household. It's also why we cannot idolize our own physical families as important as they are. And they are important as God uses them to pass down gospel legacies. As, as they are a picture and a shadow of God's family along with Moses. But there's still a shadow the substance and so next time that teenager says bruh to you they're just being biblical okay they're just being biblical now parents if that is your teenage son or daughter and they're doing it with the eye rolling the attitude and like hey can you clean your room they're like bruh you can take away their phone that's not biblical okay depends on how they are saying it so in these six verses we find two very important shadows that point to substance. Moses, the shadow that points to Jesus. In our earthly homes, a shadow that points to God's eternal home. Let me recap this and we'll conclude. Moses' faithfulness had an important and special reason to be a testimony of those things which were to be spoken of later. Judaism did not understand that then, and sadly they don't understand it now. Moses' faithfulness is supposed to be a testimony to what is to come in Christ Jesus. Judaism without Christ, the Old Testament without the New, it is incomplete. It is shadow without the substance. And if you reject the substance, the shadow is worthless. But if you accept the shadow, you have to accept the substance. 
Listen to what Jesus even said about Moses himself in John 5, 45 to 47. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Verse 46, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? That is why Hebrews 3.3 says Jesus has been counted worthy of way more glory than Moses. Moses is pointing to Jesus. Everything he did, everything he was used by God for, everything that lasts from him in the Pentateuch, it points to our need of Jesus and the fulfillment of Jesus. And in that same way that Moses is a shadow to the substance of Jesus, again, our earthly homes is a shadow to God's family. It's God who is building a home, a household, a family. He always has been. Remember how one of the greatest differences between us and the angels, this is part of the feedback I've heard from so many people over the last few weeks. I am amazed as glorious and amazing and perfect that angels are. We have this unique relationship with God through redemption, salvation, and family that they don't have. I've heard that from so many of you guys. And there's a reason why that shadow here points to substance. Just think about all the things in Scripture that says about family and what it points to. Marriage has the gospel. Where Ephesians 5 says, Jesus Christ, the husband, pursues his bride, which is the church. Loves her, pursues her, and brings her into a covenant with him. Where he says and promises, I will never ever leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always lead, love, protect, and sacrifice for you. Oh, what a beautiful marriage picture of the gospel of Jesus and the covenant he makes with us that will be celebrated in Revelation at the great marriage banquet. What does it say in Scripture about God? What's the number one word, term, describing God? Over 250 times, Father. Out of all titles, Father. What a picture that is here on earth that can point to someone greater, someone better, someone we need who adopts us into his family. The scriptures from Romans 8.15 to Galatians 4-5-7, through 5 through 7, I'll read it, it's on the screens. The fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of the son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Even that beautiful picture of adoption where we, without father, or you could maybe even argue Jesus saying, you have a father. Remember who he said? It's Satan. And we're separated from God, our father, created for him to be in a relationship with him because of our sin, both born into and we choose. But he sent his son, Jesus, one and only son, to take our sin upon himself, to die on the cross for our sin, to rise from the dead, proving He's greater and better than Moses and anything else that he is God. And in that same power, through the Holy Spirit that rose him from the dead, 
It's the same power that draws us to him as he adopts us into his family. As we say, I am a sinner and you only are the savior. I turn from my sin and I have saving faith in you. And what happens? It says we cry out, Abba, Father. There was a great mentor in my life that wrote a book called Adopted by God that spoke of his adoption journey when it was legal still to do this in Russia. He had shared how kids that do not have any parents from the moment that they are born, you know how kids cry? We hear that. Lots of services here. We love that. We love having kids here. But they cry out for their mom and dads when they want something, need something, right? Kids that have no parents, did you know they stop crying? They say, nobody is going to get me. Nobody's going to meet my needs. And so infant babies, when they don't have anybody do that long enough, they stop. And as this mentor in my life back in Louisville, Kentucky, had shared, when they were adopting two twins from Russia, they'd visit these twins every day for like two weeks, pray for them, read stories to them, whisper to them, and they were just silent. And it was eerie. Ever walk into a nursery and not hear a baby say a word? It was sad. And they did that for two weeks. And on that final day, because they couldn't adopt them yet, they had to come back at a later date to do it, kind of tears because it's their last day, praying, saying the same thing, we love you, we're going to come get you, we're going to get you out of here, we're adopting you, making you our family. Babies are just quiet, of course. As they start walking away, one of the child starts crying. As that cry came out, what a gut, because for the first time it's receiving that love, it's receiving that nurture. He said, I can't but help to think of that passage of us being adopted into God's family. Abba, Father, you are my Father. Oh, how these things point to the eternal, a shadow to the substance. It's why we truly yearn for this home. Some of our greatest joys in the home and the largest heartbreaks from the home. So much of my counseling is what your home life looks like. What's your relationship with parents like? So much of stories in this world from movies to plots from books it's all based around family the parent fighting for their family the heartbreak of absentee parents the extremities of love and hurt all pointing to how important home is and that home ultimately points us to an even greater purpose from the one who created and builds the home Jesus God there to point us to an even better fulfilled home when we receive one of the greatest rewards our homecoming in heaven with a perfect heavenly father and a true spiritual family and look how this part in scripture concludes before the author gets to the next topic in this letter or sermon before he gets to hardened hearts and unbelief verse 6 but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. To conclude, let me explain this verse. Jesus is faithful over God's house and family 
as his beloved begotten son. Part of Christ's faithfulness is that we know we are his family if we, as it says here, indeed hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This final verse and a few more just like it in this book, it has at times troubled Christians because the verse within itself, without any additional reference or reading of the surrounding verses, can make it seem like salvation is conditional. You may even ask, why the if here? Is the author casting doubt on the certainty of eternal salvation available in Christ? I personally do not believe that. As many of you know and heard me kind of say from the pulpit, we believe, I believe in perseverance of the saints, which does not mean that we enter into God's kingdom by faith and only stay in God's kingdom by works. This verse is right before the next part, talking about hardened hearts and unbelief. Using Israel in the wilderness as an example with three more of those if statements when saying, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts, which is a warning from God, both there and here, used by God to ultimately persevere, to remind you to hold fast or to reveal that you may have never had true faith in the first place. And we'll get more to that next week, and especially in chapters 5 and 6. But for this morning, I want you to hear this concluding verse in context of what was talked about so much this morning regarding family. The yearnings within it. How we realize the love we have for it, but also the heartbreak we experience within it this side of heaven. Both physical family and church family. Because I know there's many in these seats right now that has been hurt by church family, but also you love the church family. We are his house. We are his family. We love and have great responsibilities and purposes within our own family that has huge spiritual implications. And I know it hurts at times. We realize our failings within it, but this verse should give us hope within all of that. How? Because the church has true believers who constitute the household of God is made up of persevering believers who have authentic faith. Listen to me here, church. Our failings, our work and actions in building, it doesn't save us. It doesn't keep us saved. But instead, as we read here, we must hold on to our confidence and retain our boast in the gospel and the builder, Jesus Christ alone. We do not boast in ourselves or our achievements. We do not stay stuck in our sin and our shortcomings, both at home and with church. But instead, we boast in the cross, the cross that forgives and the resurrection that gives unfailing hope. And listen, Part of that faith is the encouragement we receive when we're tempted to weaken or retire from the struggle and the hardships where we can recognize Jesus Christ. He is the greater Moses. He is the greater than anyone or anything in our life, the creator and giver of home and heaven. And he is the stronghold that we hold on to. And please believe me, he is holding on to you. That is the confidence we have that spurs us to endure. To endure both at home and at church. 
for what is now hoped will be duly received and because the cross of Christ that he endured will lead you to home. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you, Lord, for your word. God, there is nothing else on in this world that can give us purpose and answers to why we struggle with and love home so much. And yet, we see how it's a shadow to the substance of everything you give us in your word regarding marriage, regarding family, regarding adoption, regarding children. And that we find a true, beside of earth, perfect home in your arms and with your family. God, I pray, I pray this morning what's going to be spoken next week will be true of today. If anyone in here is hearing your voice, do not let them harden their hearts. If that's them needing to take certain steps to be a better example of mom, wife, husband, father, to point to the examples you give us. Whether it be steps in their own marriage, keeping you at center to be that example of the marriage covenant you give us with you. Whether it be keeping you first and foremost, like the Messianic Jews was tempted to put Moses before you, but where we keep you as the center of all things. It is only through Jesus who builds the home. We are the family and house. I pray that we let you build us. Both earthly homes and this spiritual family right here. Will you use us in those ways? Even as we sing, let this not just be a song but a prayer. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Here is my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above, those courts being our true home. Let us pray this, not just sing it. In your name, Jesus. Amen.